Well, we're going to talk today about believing and following Jesus. Uh, Maybe you were one of those who were here last week, more than 20 that we know of, who placed your faith in Christ for the first time. For all of us, the reality is we can't follow Jesus until we've believed in him. Scripture says that spiritually we're powerless. As much as we might want to follow Jesus and imitate him and be like him and live in the great ways that he lived, until we've trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we are powerless to follow him. But the, the, the positive part of that truth is that once we have trusted in Jesus, uh, once he has forgiven our sins and we're adopted into the family of God, first of all, once that happens, you don't ever get unadopted, okay? Once God adopts you, you're his, you're his child. No matter how much you mess up, he loves you and you can't outrun his love. And the positive thing is after you have believed in Jesus You now have living in you the Holy Spirit of God, and you now have the power to follow Jesus in ways that you never could have in your own strength. Last week, we saw Christ's resurrection as it reverberated throughout human history, like a a big rock dropped into a glassy lake or pond. We saw that that stone rolled away continues to send out waves and ripples throughout human history, changing lives every day, every minute of every year of human history. And some of you were among those at least 20 that we know of who were, who were changed last week. Uh, I know you guys celebrated when Pastor Clovis announced that, but can we celebrate again that there's 20 new believers among us? And praise God, you know, we look on the outward, he knows the heart. Uh, With our lighting, you know, we were packed all the way to the back and under that balcony, I I couldn't see at all. So I I know with the lighting, I could see 20 hands between the two services, but God knows uh, exactly how many more than that there were. I want to welcome you if you're a new believer among us, as Pastor Clovis did. We are here as your brothers and sisters to walk with you in Christ, to help you know Christ. Whether you're learning to follow Jesus, it's your first week as one of his followers, or maybe you've been following him for 60 years, God has some truths for you today. I want to encourage you that you have freedom and joy in Christ. You no longer have to live as a slave to the life that you had before. I read a story recently about a man who was freed from prison after 35 years. His name is James Bain. And in 1974, James Bain was uh, tried for a crime in Florida. He was found guilty. He was convicted. And he was sentenced to prison. Bain was only 19 years old at that time. Well, in the year 2009, so about six years ago, 35 years after Bain had been sentenced to prison and had lived the majority of his life in prison, the court found and considered some new DNA evidence from this case back in 1974. And as they looked at the evidence, they concluded that without a doubt, no question about it, James Bain had been innocent back in 1974 when he was convicted to a life sentence. I wonder, can you imagine spending 35 years of your life in prison? I was trying this morning just to imagine 35 years ago, which is impossible for me because I wasn't alive. But I I was doing a little research, you know, what was life like 35 years ago? Well, for one, Jimmy Carter was president. 
If you turned on the radio, you might hear the song Hotel California. The, the biggest uh, Hollywood hit was Star Wars Episode One, And Elvis Presley had recently died. That's how long ago 35 years is. So this man went into prison, James Bain, as a teenager. Spent 35 years there paying a sentence for a crime he didn't commit and went in a teenager and came out an AARP member. 35 years. I watched a a news conference back when he was released uh, about his release and uh, he didn't have much to say. He just seemed so stunned. Uh, He was really eager to see his mom. I mean, when you think about it, he was 19 when he went into the system. The state of Florida... Uh, agreed to pay Bain $1.75 million for the inconvenience. And he seemed at this press conference just like, you know, like someone who's been in a dark room and all of a sudden you take him out and, and, and stare their face up at the sun and he's just squinting and, and um, overwhelmed. Now here's what I want you to imagine. How sad would it be if Bain... See, he's got some recovering to do psychologically and in other ways, right? But how sad would it be if he takes his almost $2 million from the state of Florida and his freedom, and after a few days he says, you know, this is all so foreign to me. I don't really even know what to do with this freedom. Things were kind of more predictable and comfortable back in the prison. You know, I mean, the, the food was always there, and it was at least predictable, you know, how sad would that be? Here's this guy and, and he's lost so much of his life, but how sad would it be instead of him now going with what's left of his life to enjoy his freedom and enjoy these resources that have been given to him? How sad would it be if he just went back to what he's always known? And here's the sad reality spiritually. When we trust in Christ, we're set free from a prison of sin. That part's not sad. The sad reality is that as I look around me at Christians, I see thousands and thousands of people. I see many people right here in the Prescott area who have been set free from a prison of sin and regret and pain and and habits that enslave. And we've been set free from it, and yet we don't know what to do with our freedom And so after a little while, we just kind of wander back to the prison food and we wander back to those behaviors and activities that we lived as slaves of for so long. Why? Because we haven't learned to live as free people. Any good friend of James Bain would tell him, hey man, those 35 years are gone, but you can start living now. Let's start living now, let's make the most of life outside the prison walls. And, and that's what I'm here to tell you this morning as your brother in Christ is, you know, there might be some regrets about things you've done in the past. There might be some regrets about things you did last night. Okay, but let's learn to live outside the prison walls. Let's learn to walk in the freedom that Christ purchased for us. You could put it this way. Now that you've received Christ, follow Christ. You've believed, now you can follow. You've received him as your Lord and your Savior, now you can follow. 
You see, receiving him as our Lord and our Savior, being adopted into his family, that's a once-in-a-lifetime, one-moment decision that affects your eternity. Deciding whether or not you're going to follow him is a daily decision. It's a moment-by-moment decision. In this situation, with every new situation that comes up, am I going to eat the prison food? Am I going to live the old life? Or am I going to live the new life? Every day in your marriage or in your workplace or in your classroom, every day, you're choosing again, having received Christ, now am I going to follow Christ? Here's what God says in Colossians 2 Verse 6, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue to live in him. Notice the, the past tense of this. You've received him. That's done. You don't have to re-get saved. Every time you, you mess up or you sin or you kind of forget about God for a week or two, you don't have to get re-saved, okay? You're in the family of God for good. But having done that, now continue. Make it a continual way of life that I'm continuing to learn one day at a time to follow Jesus. Some of the translations, uh, the older translations say, so walk in him. I like that walk because because it's like learning to walk. You know, this this morning Zoe was up early, so while I was getting ready, she ran into my my bathroom at around 6 o'clock and grabbed onto my leg. And, uh, And I was thinking about this walking thing. Because, you know, Zoe's a little over three, and she didn't walk as fast uh, as as some of the kids. It took her a little while. And for a long time, she was really wobbly, and she would fall. And I I always told Mel I wanted to buy Zoe a helmet, because she just always was falling down, and I felt so bad for her. But that's how you learn. No kids learn to walk without falling down. And none of us learn to walk with Christ or to follow Christ without falling down. So the falling down isn't that big a deal. Falling down usually means you're, you're moving in the right direction. And you just get up and you make this choice to continue living in him. And essentially our time today in God's word is a time for each of us in our hearts to just make that choice. Whether you're making it for the first time, hey, this Jesus stuff is new to me. I'm so glad for what happened in my heart last week. Now I do want to learn what it is to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're making it for the five millionth time. Once again, I'm going to choose in my heart to follow Jesus. I'm going to exercise my human will. Now that you've got your driver's license, drive. Now that Christ has healed your blind eyes, look around, enjoy this colorful world. Now that Christ has broken the chains and set you free, it's time to get up out of the prison and go for a walk. Go exploring. See what life is like out there as you walk with Jesus. Well, we're going to see here in the Gospels, we're just going to kind of dive in and we're going to see that over and over, Jesus will approach people and he'll say the same thing. He'll say, come follow me. Uh, some, in one story, he'll go to some busy fishermen who are pulling their nets up out of the water and he'll say, leave your nets and follow me. Uh, In another case, he'll go to a really rich religious person and he'll say, leave your wealth and follow me. In another story, he'll go to a dishonest businessman. He'll say, leave your dishonesty, not your business, but leave your dishonesty about it and follow me. 
Jesus was always using this word follow, which is interesting um, with social media revolution of recent years. And I know some of you uh, could care less about or couldn't care less about social media, and that's fine. Um, But uh, it's pretty crazy when you think about Twitter and Facebook that, you know, I don't know the exact timeline, but I think 10 years ago, much more than that, they didn't even exist. Uh, And now um, they're some of the most powerful communication tools in the world. Uh, People from Russia and China, people in the Arab countries are all communicating with people in the U.S. and all around the world through these crazy social media things. And it's so interesting that on Twitter, the way that you connect with someone is this button that you follow them. Pretty interesting to think that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was walking up to strangers saying, Hey, come follow me. I heard some jokes about social media that I'll just, uh, you know, I can't help myself. So Google's now developing a, uh, a rival product to rival Facebook. And uh, they say it's so good you'll never have to meet your friends again in real life. <laughs> and I'll just do one more, okay? I heard some, uh, that some computer hackers managed to shut down both Facebook and Twitter for a few hours the other day. And during those hours, workplace productivity in the United States quadrupled. Well, long before those, Jesus was approaching people and saying, hey, follow me. So we're just going to look this morning. There's like 50 things we could look at about following Jesus. We're going to look at two. And here's the first one. Followers forsake things that compete with Jesus. Why? Because following him matters more. See, this is the big difference between social media and following Jesus. You, You just click follow someone and you're not actually following them. You're kind of reading their thoughts on occasion. And unfortunately, I think that's how some of us think of Christianity. (laughs) Click, yeah, I'm following Jesus. And every once in a while, I kind of read some of his thoughts. But I pretty much go about my own life. That's not the way it is in the Bible. When God really gets a hold of our heart and we really realize how lost we were before, then, then we realize how much he matters. And we realize that there are things that we'll have to forsake to follow him. And we choose, we, 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 it's, this, it's this movement of the will to say, I, I will forsake anything to follow Jesus. Now it's not a perfection, and this is where Christians can get in trouble, is we start to grade each other. Well, that person's not doing a very good job of following Jesus, so they're probably not actually a Christian, right? And then what have we done? We've completely fallen out of grace into legalism into this idea that that we're saved by what we do. No, we're not saved by being good followers. We're saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. But now that you are saved, you're freed up. You don't have to be a slave to things that used to enslave you. And now you can forsake things that you didn't forsake before. And God's not after perfect behavior from you. He's after your heart. He's after a heart that says, Jesus, I truly do want to follow you. You know I'm going to trip. You know I'm going to stumble. But in my heart, Jesus, I'm telling you, I do want to follow you. I do want to live the new life that you have purchased for me at the cross. I want to walk in newness of life. I want to experience that freedom. 
Well, in Matthew chapter four, we're gonna find a story where Jesus at this point, he is a pretty well-known teacher, but he doesn't yet have his core followers, what we call the 12 disciples. So Jesus sees Peter and Andrew, and they know who he is because he's a well-known rabbi or teacher. And he being God, he knows who they are. And he's gonna say to them this command that he'll give to a lot of people, very simply, come follow me. Let's look at it in Matthew 4, verse 19. Come follow me, Jesus said. These guys are fishing right now, okay? They've got their hands in the water, or at least on their nets. He says, and I'll make you fishers of men, okay? You know, I'm gonna take you and you're gonna do something a little more important if you will let go of your way of life and follow me. At once, they left their nets or dropped their nets and followed him. What is their response? Their response is to immediately release their career, their family business, their way of life, their occupation, and follow Jesus. And it might seem odd to us, so let me explain a little bit of the context here because um, most of us, when we follow Jesus, he doesn't call us to quit our job. This is this is, that part of it's unusual, okay? So let me give you some context here. Uh, rabbis or Jewish teachers at this time, the, the way that it would work in their society is they would go within their village or their community that they lived in, they'd look for the best and the brightest at this time of only young men, and they would handpick their disciples or their followers. And the disciples would get an invitation that is these words right here. Come follow me. This is the invitation of a rabbi to a young student to say, come be my student, come be part of my school, and I will train you in my ways. I will train you with everything that I know as a rabbi. You'll essentially be my apprentice in the field of scriptural knowledge. And, and every good rabbi had their little group of hand-picked, hand-chosen disciples, the best of the best, the brightest of the bright. This would be sort of like uh, nowadays when, when a high school student works really hard to get good grades and then they apply to a bunch of colleges. And then around this time of year, they're checking the mailbox for acceptance letters or rejection letters from various schools. Now, here's the thing about uh, Peter and Andrew at this age. At this age, what we know about them is that they've been passed over. They were not the best of the best. They were not the brightest of the bright. They've gotten their rejection letters from every rabbi in the area, from their dream rabbi all the way down the list. And this is the way it worked. It was just a, a small percentage that would get chosen by these rabbis and the rest of the men in the community would continue in the family trade. So that's what these guys are doing. They've been passed over. They're not gonna get a higher education. They're not gonna learn under some great teacher and so they will do what their dad did and what their dad's dad did. And as they're doing that, they know about this popular new teacher in the area. And then one day he walks up to them and says these words. So does it make a little more sense now? Uh, you know, in the, in the first time I read the story, I'm like, that is the weirdest thing. 
know? <laughs> like this stranger walks up to these guys, come follow me, and they're like, all right. <laughs> so now it makes a little more sense. This is like uh, someone who really did want to go to college, and they applied to all these colleges, and they get rejected by them all. And then one day, the president of Harvard knocks on the front door and says, hey, got a full-ride scholarship for you. Come, come with me, okay? It's a little more like that. So what do Peter and Andrew do? Well, their hearts are eager to follow Jesus and to learn from him. Likely, they've already spent many days out on the water talking about this new rabbi, Jesus, and the things he's saying. Peter and Andrew left their entire way of life. They abandoned everything they knew. God doesn't call all of us to quit our jobs or leave our entire way of life, but he does call us to leave mentally a way of life that was all about us, all about seeking first our own kingdom instead of seeking first his kingdom. And the point is, if you're serious about living life outside the prison walls, then there's things you're going to have to forsake about the way that you did life when you were in the prison walls. Followers forsake anything that competes with Jesus. Why? Because following Jesus matters more. You could put it this way. Learn in your life. Learn to abandon anything that would hold you back from Jesus. And you'll find that following Christ is the most exciting and the most exhilarating way of life. Really quickly, I'll just talk about two categories of things that we have to forsake that I've experienced in my own life and that scripture talks about. The first category of things that we have to forsake if we really want to follow Jesus uh, are things that God outright calls sins. That is behavior that is part of our old nature from before we knew Christ. It's life inside the prison walls. And there are a number of things that God just outright says. It's not about you being perfect. It's about following Christ. But if you want to follow Christ, he's going to lead you out of certain things. For example, getting drunk, being intoxicated, controlled by some force other than your own mind and the Holy Spirit. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to forsake images that stir up lust within you. You're going to have to forsake the worship of material things, as in thinking, if I get more stuff, that will make me secure. And and it might sound impossible. Remember, it is impossible to forsake these things without the power of Christ in our life. But you'll find with Christ's help, just like a child learning to walk, if you've been enslaved to one of those things, if you're enslaved to something right now that you know is not God's best for you, it's not his plan for you to be living a life where you're constantly coveting other people's stuff or, or you're constantly discontent or you're constantly gossiping about people, okay? Maybe there's something in your life, you know, this is not God's way for me. The reality is just like my little daughter learning to walk, if you will in your heart say, Jesus, I do want to follow you. I do want to live in the freedom of new life. Then you'll start to, to move forward. And will you stumble? Yes. Will, will you totally fall on your face some days? Yes. Success is not never falling. Success is getting back up when you do and saying, Jesus, I do want to keep following you. And we're going to see as we continue in this study that the, the greatest heroes of scripture fell all the time, <laughs> stumbled all the time. And I'm so glad God put them in there because <laughs> they reassure me that, okay, 
all of my failures don't make me a bad Christian. They make me a normal Christian, okay? And all of your failures don't make you a bad Christian. They make you a normal Christian. All sorts of old things like gossip and bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, lying and jealousy, God calls those the former way of life. Our way of life before Christ included holding grudges. It included lying. It included letting our anger run unrestrained. Life before Christ included unbridled lusts physically and emotionally. And all those things that we thought, this is my freedom, (laughs) were chains that enslaved us. And God says, that's your former way of life. There's now a better way for you. Yesterday, one of our elders and his wife went down to the Phoenix area and competed in a race called the Warrior Dash. The Warrior Dash is about a 5K through mud and rocks and, you know, also. And, and so uh, some of the elders, we had gotten together last night and, and we were talking about his race and, and he was just talking about how filthy he was afterwards. And it reminded me of Colossians chapter 3. God gives this analogy about removing our old way of life as if they're soiled or dirty clothes, okay? I don't know if you've ever done really dirty yard work or maybe you were on doggy duty patrol, okay? Have you, have you ever just, your clothes have been filthy and, and you, you, you take those clothes, you shed those clothes, and sometimes the outer garments are, are, you know, so muddy or whatever that you leave them in the garage or on the back porch, right? And, and you keep shedding layers as you get to the shower. And then when you get done in the shower, there's a bunch of dirt on the ground. And then after you get out of the shower, do you go out to the back porch and put the muddy clothes back on? And this is what God says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, your old way of life the lying, the anger, the rage, the lust, the jealousy, the gossip, the pride. Now that you're in Christ, you're able to to unzip that, to take it off. You're cleansed in Christ. And now the choice every day is to say, God, because of Christ, because I've been washed not by my works, but by the blood of the lamb, I want to put on the new clothes. That is a mind that's set on Christ, that's peaceable and pure and gentle and humble and teachable and approachable and, and, and full of the Holy Spirit and a mind that's renewed in your word. And we put on, God just gives us this picture in Colossians 3 of, of physical clothes. Take off the old soiled stuff, put on your new clothes in Christ, and then lift your head high and walk as a son or a daughter of the king in newness of life. So this becomes, at least in my experience, a daily procedure. This, this decision to daily say, okay, Jesus, I want to continue following you becomes a daily thing because, you know, um, I get dirty from my own sin and I also get dirty as I'm out in the world just from bumping up against other people. I mean, we live in a world that's polluted with sin. And so it becomes kind of a daily thing of God, um, I I, want to put off all the things that I experienced today that stirred up the old man in me, that stirred up my old jealousies or my old lusts or my old pride. Today, I want to take all those off And I want to redress in who I am in you. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to forsake some things. And that's the first category is just the outright clear scripture says, this is the will of God 
that you abstain from fornication. This is the will of God, that you don't be drunk. And the list goes on. There's some very black and white things that if we're serious about following Jesus, uh, he'll give us the strength to walk in that way. And, um, and we daily, it's about the heart deciding, I don't want to live that way, Jesus. I do want to follow you. And when you do stumble, when you do mess up, of just like a kid who's learning to walk, you get back up and say, Jesus, I want to keep learning. Here's the second category in my experience, and it's also in scripture, of things that you'll have to forsake as you follow Jesus. And this is a category, this is maybe a little bit of graduating from walking to running. This is something that happens as you mature in Christ. As you really grow in Christ, you're going to find that there are some things in your life that are perfectly morally acceptable. There's nothing spiritually evil about them. There's nothing morally wrong about them. And they're things that are fine for other believers to do. But you, as you walk with Christ, you realize having that possession or watching that whatever, for me, it doesn't help my mind be fixed on Christ. And probably for all the other Christians in the church, it'd be fine for them. But for me, I'm realizing now that I'm really walking with Christ and we're getting up to a good pace, if I really want to go even faster with him, there's some more things that I will get to forsake. And, and I'll be even f- more freed up to follow him. Okay? Uh, these are things that, again, they're not morally wrong. And these are like the fishing nets. You know, was it wrong for Peter and Andrew to fish? No, there's nothing wrong with fishing nets, okay? God doesn't call every one of us who fishes to never touch a fishing net again, okay? It's not a moral thing. But for Peter and Andrew at this time in their life, if they really wanted to follow Jesus, they did need to forsake that. So let me give you some examples of things like this in our lives. Here's one, a business opportunity. A business opportunity comes along and you realize, wow, I could make serious, serious money. I mean, like, wow, if I did this for three years, maybe all the kids' college would be paid for, okay? And and this business opportunity comes along, and and, and to you, it's a serious amount of money. But as you pray about it, and as you look at other people who've taken similar opportunities, you realize, I won't be able to be in a community group anymore at church. I'll probably be lucky if I get to Sunday, like, one in six weeks, There's not going to be a lot of me left over emotionally for my family. And as you pray about it, because you've been growing in Christ, you realize this thing isn't morally wrong to go and make that much money. But because I love Jesus most and I'm willing to forsake anything to follow him, I will pass up that amount of money because I want to be a follower of Christ who's active in my church. And I want to be active in my community group. And I want to be a a spouse or a parent who's present with my kids so I can disciple them or disciple even my spouse and encourage them in Christ. And so so would it have been a sin to make that decision and take the promotion? No. If you know other Christians who have the same opportunity, would you judge them and say, well, they shouldn't do that? No. But you just know for yourself as you pray about it. Yet this is something that I'm being called individually to forsake, to follow Jesus first. A good example for me is reading the news. I used to be a journalist and I could spend all day reading the news. And I found that when I do, not only is it A, a total waste of time, 
because it's all irrelevant, like two weeks later. Not only is it a total waste of time, but mentally it affects me. When I'm reading about, you know, what's happening in Russia and the Middle East and Washington, D.C., it does not make me a more peaceful person. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't. It makes me very unsettled. Is there anything morally wrong with, with, you know, a, a good intake of the news? No. And I, mean, I try to keep up on what, th- what things are going on, but I've got this kind of line that's different for me than it would be for you. But I just know between me and God, there, there comes a line where if I keep in taking news, my mind's not going to, I'm not going to be remembering that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and that my citizenship is in heaven and that I'm an alien and stranger here and that this world's not my home. If I, if I read it long enough, I start to think that this is my home and that, oh no, I need to go to Costco and really stockpile because things are going to get really bad. So I, so I know that about myself. So do I judge some other Christian who, who might be able to intake all that news and maybe has a stronger disposition and doesn't collapse under it? No, I don't judge them, but I kind of know for me, okay, this is one of those things. It's not a legalism thing, okay? It's a, it's a spirit-led thing of I want Jesus to be what's consuming my mind. So, so whether it's, you know, whether it's a TV show or news intake or whatever else, it may not be morally wrong, but it's just this idea of, I want to be consumed with Jesus and, and following him. And some of you, if you're kind of uh, new to Jesus, you're like, these people are weird. And, uh, and you're right, we are. Anyhow, I just wanted to mention that second category because um, as you continue to grow in Christ, that, that will come up. And when it does, don't judge other people just worry about yourself, you know? God doesn't want me doing that. Not necessarily that it's wrong. It's just, I'll, Jesus, I'll forsake anything to follow you. I'll forsake anything to follow you. That's what we're deciding in our hearts today. So here's the question. What must I forsake to follow Jesus? Is it one of those obvious black and white things? There has been some talking behind the backs of other Christians going on in my life. And I know God didn't give me a tongue to use for that. There have been some things that have been controlling me that are not the Spirit of God or the Word of God. And I know that's not God's best for me. Or maybe it's that other category of things that are not morally wrong, but you just kind of, yeah, if I was really serious about following Jesus right now, I wouldn't be spending so many hours doing that, even though it's not morally wrong. If you'll choose in your heart, Jesus, I do want to follow you. Jesus always helps his followers. And not only that, you've got a whole team here. We all want to help you. And we all need you to help us as we follow him together. What's the fishing net that you'll drop today? Maybe it's something that you give away or you sell or you change the channel or you move the TV out of the bedroom. Something that maybe it's not even morally wrong, but you just say, I'm just going to stop that pattern that's kind of controlling my mind and I'm, I'm going to... Follow Jesus with my mind. Here's another question for me and you today. Have I resolved to forsake or deny myself in order to follow Christ? That's really what all those things come down to. And Jesus puts it this way. If anyone would come after me and follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a matter of daily saying, my wisdom is not the wisdom by which I'll live. My opinion is not the opinion by which I'll live. God, what does your word say? What do you want me doing? And it's that daily choice. 
there are certain decisions that mature people decide ahead of time. Uh, for example, if you're married, you can determine ahead of time, and if you haven't, today's a good day to think about it, you can determine ahead of time, if someone ever comes to me and propositions me to have an affair, when that, when that moment comes, I'm not going to have to think it over. I'm not going to have to consider my options. It, when that moment comes, I'm not going to have to kind of examine how attractive is this person, right? You're probably in trouble if you are, right? A, a mature person can pre-decide certain things. In other words, if that moment ever finds me, I will act on a decision that I've already made, and that is to get out of there, okay? And, and that's an example of you can pre-decide so that when... The, the moment comes and there's emotion and there's crisis and there's temptation and there's passion, and there's feelings, whatever. You don't have to make a decision then. You just act on the decision that you've already made. And in the same way with following Jesus, we can decide kind of one day at a time, Jesus, today, I don't know what's going to come up in my life. I don't know what kind of things are going to tempt me to get off of the path of following you, but Jesus, I'm deciding right now, whether it's, whether it's anger, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's great financial gain, if I just veer off the path a little bit, whatever it is, Jesus, I've predecided I'm going to follow you with my life. Well, now let's look at what happens when we fail at that decision. Let's look at Matthew 26, verse 56. This is uh, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been arrested. We just walked all, through all this in the Passion Week, and all the disciples, all his followers, deserted him and fled. And then the, verse 58 of the same chapter says, but Peter followed him at a distance. Peter follows from a distance. And the space between him and Jesus just starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger until we find ourselves in verse 73. After a little while, those standing in this courtyard went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them for your accent gives you away. You might remember the story. Jesus is now being publicly tried and Peter's in this courtyard nearby and all these people come up to Peter and they're saying, you're with him, right? And Peter keeps getting further and further away from Jesus to the point in verse 74 that he begins to call down curses on himself and he swears. He says, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. This is the famous passage where Peter, who said, Jesus, if everyone else denies you, I'll never deny you. Peter had predecided, right? And yet, this, despite his resolve and his predecision, Peter still fails. Let's look at verse 75. After he fails, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Have you had a moment like this as you follow Jesus? Or should I say, have you had a moment like this lately? When you set out to follow Christ and you've got such passion and such resolve and then you just fail miserably. Maybe you have something that you said, I'll never do that. And then after you did, you felt a lot like this. God records for us here in scripture this great hero, 
Peter, Jesus said, you're the rock on whom I'll build my church. And Peter fails fantastically. Peter isn't just kind of sort of tripping here. In high school, um, my friends and I would go snowboarding. And when you're snowboarding, you know, and and you're going down the hill uh, and you turn, you can catch the edge of your board. And so like, let's say you're turning this way and this is downhill and you catch the toe edge of your board. When that edge catches, bam, you face plant really hard. It hurts, okay? And we, we would call that, he derfed it, okay? Derfing it is not the same as tripping. <laughs> derfing it hurts really bad. And Peter here, he just totally derfs it, Right? I mean, this is a wipeout. This is not a little stumble. And this is the apostle on whom Christ will build the church. You see, Christ's followers fail, but are never failures. Christ's followers fail, but because of Christ, we're never failures. After Jesus raises from the dead and shows himself to the disciples, there's this beautiful scene in the Gospel of John where he appears to Peter. And three times he's going to ask Peter, do you love me? Peter, who denied Christ three times, is, is now three times going to say, Lord, pretty much you know how much of a mess I am, but you can see my heart. You know that despite all my failures, I do love you. I do want to follow you. And so Jesus says, well, now go feed my sheep. And Peter did. That's why we have books of scripture written by Peter. That's why we have the book of Acts. Because Peter preached and in one day, 3,000 people trusted in Christ in Jerusalem. You see, these are the kind of people (laughs) that Jesus uses. So if you've tripped lately and when you trip, don't let the enemy kick you and keep you down. Get back up and keep following Jesus. You could put it this way. I recover from my mistakes by focusing on my Savior, not focusing on my failure. See, I think many of us, if we had been in Peter's shoes and denied Christ that night, we never would have recovered from it. We would have just beat ourselves up for the rest of our lives. And that's because we don't really fully understand grace. We haven't really fully experienced. There's no amount of messing up that I can do to get Jesus to stop loving me. So I want to give you some applications as we close here. And the big question is just this, will you follow? Will you follow? And I want to encourage you in a few ways. First of all, we have a discussion group that starts this Saturday called Do You Believe? Uh, And you can sign up at the belong table Uh, or you could come up front and sign up afterwards. I cannot encourage you enough to be part of this, okay? It's a four-week group. Pastor Dan's leading it. And it's all about, do you really believe in Jesus? And if so, what does it look like to follow him? Uh, It's video-based. It's based on a movie that's in Harkins Theaters right now called, I think, Do You Believe? And uh, I've heard the movie's great. This study is based on the movie. And no matter where you are in your journey, I would just strongly encourage you, especially if you're kind of reconnecting with Jesus, uh, this discussion group is going to be on Saturdays, free food, video-based, great people who are loving and welcoming. Um, Here's a great way to follow Jesus. 
I want to also encourage you as a church family to just continue following Jesus together, okay? I've prayed a lot knowing, you know, next Sunday is my last Sunday and I have to be careful or I just start crying uh, how I talk about um, the little bit of time that I have left with you guys. But the reason that I wore the Zambia shirt today is to remind you, okay, last night we were hanging out. Um, some of the elders got together, all the elders got together to just kind of celebrate. We looked back over the last six and a half years from 40 people to now more than 800 people. Uh, from, you know, one staff member to, I don't know how many now, but quite a few. And the, the real thing is lives changed, marriages changed. And the reality that this year to our partners in Zambia and around the world, last year we gave over $100,000 to support ministry around the world. This year we're on track to do it again. That's more than our whole operating budget was a few years ago. And I want to encourage you who are part of Cornerstone, keep following. Keep making that choice. Keep being part of the group. It's almost like there's this current, there's this river of human beings who are all following Jesus together. And when you're in the middle of the group and you get tired, it's okay. The group kind of moves you along. But some of you, I know you're out on the riverbanks still. You're not in the group. You don't have that momentum of a community group and others who will kind of carry you and help you. And I just want to encourage you, keep following Jesus. And the best way to do it in a time of transition, like right now, is just get as close to the middle of the group as you can. If you're not in a community group yet, get into one. If you you haven't pre-decided on a Sunday, I'm in church unless I'm sick or have to work, then pre-decide that. Get, really get part of the church family. And part of that is uh, an upcoming sermon series that I'm really excited about. It's called My Biggest Moment with God. And this is going to be such a cool series because as the staff and I prayed about, okay, what should we do in the first weeks um, when John's not here? What we decided is uh, we want to have familiar faces. So we're going to have Pastor Dan's going to teach a week. Pastor Clovis is going to teach a week. Pastor Josh, our youth pastor, is going to teach a week. Pastor Tom, who most of you know, is going to teach a week. But this series, each of them are going to share from their lives their biggest moment with God when they didn't think they were going to make it and God showed up for them. And it's incredible stories. And of course, they correlate with Scripture. And you're going to learn from Scripture. But not only that, you're going to learn your spiritual leaders more. Uh, You've known me pretty well, and you kind of know some of the other spiritual leaders, but you're going to really get to know these amazing leaders who God has given to you as you walk through this time of transition. So, ultimate question, are you following Jesus? Have you made that decision? Will you stand and pray together with me? We'll decide that together. Jesus, I just want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. This is such a beautiful church. Lord, we just praise you for the work that you are doing at Cornerstone. And Jesus, we claim your promise in Philippians that when you begin a good work, you are faithful to complete it. So Jesus, we cannot wait to see how you continue the work at Cornerstone. And Lord, in each of our lives, we cannot wait to see how you continue the good work you've begun in us. Lord, we're a room full of uh, followers that fail. 
And we just thank you that because of Jesus, we're not failures. We're bought by the blood of the lamb. Lord, we covered quite a bit of material today. And I just wanna give an opportunity for your Holy Spirit to reach into each of our hearts. And right now, Jesus, no matter what the specifics are, together, as individuals in a group, we we together say to you, Jesus, we want to follow you. And Jesus, whatever we have to forsake, we will to follow you. Whether it's comfort, whether it's convenience, whether it's enslaving sin that has been part of our life for as long as we can remember, but we know it's time to forsake that. Today, Lord, all of us together and individually, we, we declare to you, Jesus, we will follow you. We wanna follow you. Lord, you knew when Peter said, Jesus, I'll never forsake you, that he would. And you know, as we say this, that we're gonna stumble. And we thank you that that, that doesn't freak you out, <laughs> freaks us out. Jesus, I pray for the men and women in here who've stumbled recently, or as we go out and stumble, Will you make us aware of your grace? Will you remind us of our brother in you, Peter, how how much he durfed it there? And we thank you that you always pick us up. We thank you and and we just just wanna soak in that grace because some in here, Lord, they've been laying on the pavement for, for months or weeks or years. They fell hard and they've just been laying there in their blood. And today, Lord, by your spirit and together as a church family, we just, we pick them up put our arms around them and we say together together as just a mass of human souls we follow Jesus we believe in you Jesus we will follow you no matter the cost so give us strength strengthen our weak knees and encourage us in you we pray it all in your name Jesus amen thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott Arizona for more information visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.